Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to Quarter Hills Q3 Fiscal 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. On this morning's call, we have Paul Hill, President and CEO, and John Rim, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the management's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session, during which analysts are invited to ask questions. To ask a question, simply press star 1 on your touchtone phone to register. Should you require assistance during the call, please press star zero. Earlier this morning, Quarter Hill issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three and nine month periods ended September 30th, 2021. This news release along with the company's MDNA and financial statements will be available on Quarter Hill's website and will be filed on CDAR. Certain matters discussed during today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk, risk factors that could affect results are detailed in the company's annual information form and other public filings that are available on CDAR. During this conference call, Quarter Hill will, will refer to adjusted EBITDA adjusted EBITDA does not have any standardized meaning prescribed by IFRS. Please refer to page 3 on the company's Q3 2021 management discussion and analysts for full cautionary notes regarding the use of forward-looking statements and non-IFRS measures. Finally, please note that all financial information provided is in Canadian dollars unless otherwise specified. I will now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Hill. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us on today's call. In terms of agenda, I'll start with a look at business highlights, followed by John, who will take a look at our key financial results. Then we'll open it up for questions. Q3 consolidated revenue was $36.3 million, and consolidated adjusted EBITDA was $7.6 million. We ended the quarter with $60 million of working capital, and subsequent to quarter end, closed a $57.5 million convertible debenture that was oversubscribed and included the full overallotment options. The key highlight in Q3 was the acquisition of ETC, an ITS leader in tolling in the U.S. market. The transaction has transformed Quarter Hill into a major player in the ITS industry, and ETC fit perfectly with our M&A strategy for several reasons. It establishes Quarter Hill as a leader in the tolling vertical, which has strong market tailwinds. It's a second ITS platform for tuck-in acquisitions and a sister organization to IRD. ETC has an experienced management team that is targeting a $4 billion pipeline of sales opportunities. There are good long-term revenue synergy opportunities between ETC and IRD. And it transforms the financial profile of Quarter Hill to a predominantly ITS company with more visible and predictable financials. In Q3, just prior to the acquisition, ETC signed a 10-year contract to provide its back office ERP solution 
to the Ohio River Bridges Authority. The new system will streamline billing, improve ease of self-service, and facilitate quick issue resolution for their customers. The 10-year contract is valued at approximately $100 million and includes systems design, implementation, and seven years of toll service operations. Two optional three-year renewal periods could increase the value of the agreement significantly. In addition, there is potential for expansion or change orders during the 10-year contract period, which could further increase the lifetime contract value. ETC continues to make good progress on its pipeline, and we hope to be in a position to announce new wins in Q4. The process for many of these contract awards is that after our RFP period, a short list of vendors is chosen, and then from that list, a vendor is selected. A protest period of about two weeks follows. Should the protest period pass without issue, the selected vendor enters a period where final terms of the contract are negotiated. As a general practice, we will not make a formal announcement until the final contract is signed. That being said, I can tell you that ETC is currently approaching that final contract negotiation phase for three new opportunities that have an average term, including option periods of 13 years. As these deals get closed, we will announce contract values if it's permitted. Again, while they are not yet completed agreements, these opportunities are either in the tail end of the protest period or in the contract negotiation phase. We expect to have updates on them uh, soon. As for the strategy, we continue to build a strong pipeline and we're seeing a number of high quality assets of all sizes and attractive valuations. We set out with an ambitious target of deploying 400 million over five years on M&A. And so far in 2021, we've deployed approximately 160 million on three deals. Our intention is to keep the pace of M&A brisk, and we continue to believe there's never been a better time to be an aggregator in the ITS market. The convertible debenture financing completed subsequent to year, uh, quarter end provides us with additional flexibility and resources to pursue this strategy. It was a successful $57.5 million financing that involved a syndicate of seven dealers. It was oversubscribed and brought more than a dozen new institutional investors to the Quarter Hill story. Increasing our profile in the investment community and raising the level of institutional ownership remain important objectives for us. IRD had a good quarter with new wins in Illinois, Oklahoma, and Idaho. On a year-over-year comparison, IRD was impacted by FX headwinds and COVID-related delays, in particular in Latin America, where several projects in the regions were temporarily placed on hold due to lockdowns. Excluding FX, revenue year-over-year would have been consistent with Q3 last year, despite the COVID delays in Latin America. We expect that FX will normalize in the near term and that projects on hold will resume in these markets as they open. The strong fundamentals remain in place at IRD. It had a record quarter for new bookings. It has significant contracted backlog, and the tuck-in acquisitions made earlier this year, Sensorline and VDS, are tracking ahead of plan. As we mentioned on our last call, IRD has already had some success bringing Sensorline products to the U.S. market, and the companies are working together on other opportunities both in the U.S. and outside North America. Finally, IRD has made good progress in appointing ahead of its European operations, and we expect we will have a person in the seat in January. 
Establishing this role will help us execute our strategy by strengthening our presence with customers and accelerating both our organic and acquisitive growth in the, in the region. Q3 was Wyland's best quarter thus far in 2021 with several license agreements resulting in solid adjusted EBITDA. Wyland also acquired some patents in the semiconductor space, adding depth in an area of strength for the company. We remain optimistic for Q4. Deals are getting done as we saw in Q3. However, the timing for completing agreements remains variable and COVID is still a hurdle for travel and in-person meetings. As well, the courts do continue to experience some COVID-related delays as they work through their backlog of cases. Regarding Wyland's litigation with Apple in the US, the oral hearing of federal appeals court took place in early October. A, a ruling could take anywhere from a few months to six months. Wyland also has ongoing litigation with Apple in Germany, with the first of three hearings having taken place in October, a second is set for later this month, and a third scheduled for March. Wyland's pipeline and patent portfolio remain solid, and we continue to view the business as a reliable generator of cash flow to support its own expansion objectives as well as our broader ITS M&A strategy. In closing, we've made significant progress on our M&A strategy this year, bringing scale to our ITS business and enhancing Quarter Hill's revenue and earnings visibility. We have been working hard to get our story out to the investment community, and we continue to do so in the coming quarters. We're encouraged to see some of the results of that effort and the strong interest we had in our convertible debenture offering, which was well oversubscribed. Already, we have two institutional investor conferences lined up for January, and we'll share more details on those events in the near future. With that, I'll pass it over to John for a closer look at the numbers. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. I'll now walk through the consolidated third quarter results as well as the results from our ITS and licensing segments. Consolidated revenue in Q3 was $36.3 million and $74.5 million year-to-date. Revenue was lower than the comparable period, uh, prior year periods due to the lower size of agreements completed in the licensing business in 2021 versus the comparable periods in 2020. ITS revenue was higher for both Q3 and the year-to-date period, primarily due to the inclusion of revenue from the acquisitions we've made in 2021. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic remaining a challenge, notably in Latin America, where several projects were postponed due to lockdowns, IRD continues to demonstrate resilience, and we are very encouraged by the strong underlying fundamentals of its operations. IRD's pipeline remains strong, as its order book was at record levels in Q3. It has a significant backlog, and future quarters will benefit when those delayed projects resume activity. Regarding ETC, the ITS segment in Q3 only included a month, the month of September. As stated at the time of the acquisition, we estimate that ETC will generate annualized revenue between 95 to $120 million and adjusted EBITDA between 12.5 to $15 million within the next 12 to 18 months. With contracts like Ohio River Bridge in Q3 and other opportunities moving through the pipeline here in Q4, we believe we are well on track to reach those targets. Licensing revenue was up in Q3 compared to Q1 and Q2 of this year, but down year over year due to the significant licensing activity that we saw in Q3 2020. 
Despite the headwinds related to COVID-19, Wineland continues to show it can complete agreements in a challenging environment and remains a consistent generator of cash to support Porter Hill's overall M&A strategy. Consolidated gross margin was 42% in Q3 and 34% year-to-date, which were lower than the comparable prior year period. The ITS segment gross margins were lower in 2021 as they fluctuate depending on the nature of projects underway during the period and their related margin profile, as well as currency volatility between the U.S. and Canadian dollar. Since a, uh, a large proportion of our revenue in the ITS segment is denominated in U.S. dollars and a portion of our cost of sales in North America are in Canadian dollars, the depreciation of the U.S. dollar during this period relative to the prior year has impacted our gross margin within this segment. In the prior year, we also had larger projects that were undertaken with significant profit margins compared to a moderate mix of active projects this uh, quarter with a lower margin profile. Wyland gross margins rose slightly in the quarter and were lower for the year-to-date period, 2021 period. Gross margin at Wyland will fluctuate depending primarily on the level of litigation and contingent legal and partner costs incurred in a respective period relative to the revenue that's been generated. In terms of operating expenses, total consolidated operating expenses were higher in both Q3 2021 and the year-to-date period. The increase in operating expenses was primarily driven by the special charges and transaction costs, which relate to the acquisitions of Sensorline, VDS, and ETC, as well as the addition of those um, operating cost bases of those businesses. Overall, we continue to keep a close eye on expenses at the corporate level and all of our portfolio companies during the pandemic. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA in Q3 was $7.6 million and year-to-date was $4.1 million. The decrease in the 2021 periods was primarily due to the significant level of licensing activity at Wineland in the prior in Q3 in the prior year. On a segment basis, the ITS business generated adjusted EBITDA of $4.5 million in Q3 2021 and $8.6 million uh, for the Q3 year-to-date period. Both 2021 periods were impacted year over year by the deterioration of the U.S. dollar versus the Canadian dollar uh, in 2021 versus 2020, as a fixed portion of overheads are denominated in Canadian dollars, as well as the fact that there were higher margin projects during Q3 2020. Wyland's adjusted EBITDA for Q3 2021 was $5.4 million, and for the year-to-date 2021 period was $2.7 million. Cash used in operations was $10.9 million in Q3, and cash used in operations for the year-to-date period was $15 million. Changes in non-cash working capital balances resulted in cash used in operations in Q3, and a majority of the increase in receivables has been collected post-quarter end. Having used approximately $75 million of cash from the balance sheet on the acquisition of ETC, our cash balance is down from the prior quarter end. However, the balance sheet remains strong with $60 million in working capital. And subsequent to quarter end, we completed the $57.5 million convertible debenture uh, offering. We've had a few positive developments regarding our capital structure since our last call. 
So I'll take a couple minutes to summarize them. For the acquisition of ETC, we've paid approximately $150 million, of which $75 million was cash from our balance sheet, and the remainder was debt financing provided by a syndicate of banks led by HSBC. The debt facilities included a $63 million term debt facility and a $19 million revolving credit facility. For the acquisition, the term debt facility was drawn in full, and $12 million of the was drawn on the revolving credit facility. The debt facilities also include an accordion feature, which we can access for future M&A purposes. In October, we filed a preliminary base shell prospectus with capacity to raise up to $200 million over a 25-month period. This will allow us to access capital readily as strong M&A opportunities rise. And subsequent to quarter end, we raised $57.5 million through our convertible debenture offering. We raised this financing for several reasons. We expect to replenish our balance sheet over time uh, from our existing portfolio companies, but having the additional capital now gives us tremendous flexibility to be opportunistic in the near term, given the quantity of high quality assets we're seeing in our pipeline and our desire to maintain the pace of our M&A growth. On the convertible debenture, the, the conversion price is approximately um, a 45% premium uh, as of yesterday to, uh, to the current share price. So we're able uh, to raise capital in a non-dilutive way now at a relatively low cost interest rate. Finally, it is an opportunity to bring new institutional investors to Quarter Hill, and that's an area of focus for us that we think over time is important to driving shareholder value. So in closing, we remain well positioned to continue to execute on our M&A strategy. We have a strong balance sheet today with cash and working capital, as well as the ability to support additional leverage. And we have three strong operating platforms capable of generating cash to further support the acquisition strategy. As we've said many times, our plan is to deploy up to $400 million on our strategy over the next five years to scale the IKS business. And we've made great progress so far in 2021, having deployed approximately $160 million for 40% of the five-year target on the three acquisitions. As we've discussed in the past, we believe that deploying this capital could add an incremental $300 million plus of revenue and $50 million plus of adjusted EBITDA to our ITS segment over the next five years on top of our IRD business over that time. ITS revenue comes with a more consistent and predictable profile, which we believe should result in Quarter Hill receiving a valuation that's more consistent with other public ITS and IoT telematics companies that have achieved similar scale. The net result of the strategy is to unlock our growth in uh, shareholder value over the next five years. Finally, we continue to uh, our quarterly dividend payments in Q3. And with this morning, in our earnings release, we announced details of our next dividend payment. The Board of Directors has declared an eligible dividend of 1.25 cents per share payable on January 10th, 2022, for shareholders of record on December 10th, 2021. So this concludes my review of the financial results, and I'll now turn the call over to the operator to CNN. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. 
interested, you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. And if you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question does come from Doug Taylor from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Morning. Morning, Doug. Uh, since, uh, since our last update, the, the large infrastructure bill that's been working its way through, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, political uh, arena has certainly progressed. Uh, I wonder if I could just get you to, you know, update us on, you know, any revised thinking about how and when that might start to manifest uh, in, in terms of, you know, bookings uh, for, for IRD and ETC and, and whether that has impacted any of your conversations around the pipeline for, for either of those entities uh, yet. Yeah, uh, um, good question, Doug. Uh, yeah, first of all, it's great news that the bill got approved, and and um, and you know what we anticipate is uh, the money will start flowing down to the state levels uh, over the next few quarters. It won't be instantaneous, but we will see incremental um, uh, funding of programs, and there's a lot of momentum. We're seeing it especially in the ETC pipeline. We have a lot of deals in the pipeline, over $4 billion of opportunities. And we think if, I mean, this will even secure that pipeline and grow it uh, incrementally over time as well. So we're very optimistic about it. Um, you know, good quarter for the, the ITS businesses overall. Uh, do recognize that there's some seasonality in, in those businesses. Yeah. But, you know, and just trying to, I mean, now that you've had ETC kind of under your, uh, your umbrella now for I guess a couple months. You know, can you provide us any update on how we should think about modeling out the seasonality of that combined entity and whether ETC is as seasonal as the, you know, the IRD business had proved to be. Yeah, there is there is some seasonality for sure. Um, I would say uh, what I'm seeing is um, you know uh, this time of the year, sort of Q4 time of the year. Um, as you see in a lot of technology companies, there's a bit of a hockey stick, um, which is a little bit different than IRD, right? Because IRD um, seasonality is kind of uh, Q4, Q1, Q1 especially. Um, so it's 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 a little bit different in terms of when those things happen. And actually, one of the things that's happening uh, in terms of synergies, but between the companies even, is we're kind of taking advantage of some of the differences in seasonality of the two businesses by sharing some resources, especially in the U in the U.S. market. So that's an example of where that can play to our favor. Um, but you know, we're seeing uh, really good opportunities in Q4. I mentioned on the call that we have. Um, three deals that were uh, getting into the contract negotiation phase. So we've essentially been selected and have made it through the protest period. Um, and, and, and so that's just, it bodes very well for the quarter as well for the ETC business. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, I just wanted to clarify, I mean, you, you announced the license with Motorola, and I know it's hard for us to kind of understand the size and magnitude of these licensing agreements when, when you press release them, but the timing of it, yeah. I just want to understand whether that was, in fact, all reported 
in Q3, or is that a Q4 item? And if you know, and whether that was one of the big reasons for the working capital um, yeah, receivables machinations, kind of around the quarter end. I'll let John uh, answer the second question. First question is, yeah, it was a Q3 deal, so it showed up in Q3. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Doug. You hit the nail on the head. Um, there is a bit of a lag. Well, there is always a timing difference of when the deals are signed and we recognize revenue, and then we eventually collect the cash on it. But um, that was post Q3. Okay, and I mean, you maintain a, a pretty constructive outlook for quarter, for Wyland, I should say, for the balance of the series. Previously, you'd kind of talked about the potential for that business to generate cash flows in the ballpark of what it had done on an annual basis in recent years. And, you know, as we're now halfway through Q4, uh, I wonder if I could pin you to just maybe a discussion of whether you, you do think that Q, you know, 2021 for the factors that you mentioned with things getting pushed out may end up being a softer year for, for the Wyland business. And then you'll recapture some of that in the years ahead. Yeah, I mean, as I've said in the past, we don't provide guidance for Wyland just because of the nature of the business, as you know. But a couple of things I would I would say to consider. Um, first is we do have a strong licensing pipeline at Wyland. We've got over 20 licensing programs that are active and multiple opportunities in each of those programs. We have litigations on the horizon with you know companies like TCL and Micron, AMD, and of course Apple, both U.S. and uh, Germany and Canada. Um, other considerations, I mean, there was a, a recent summary judgment that went against us uh, with Amazon, um, a non-infringement summary judgment that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so that's um, more of a headwind effect. Um, and, you know, we're evaluating our options there as it relates to Amazon and that litigation that was, you know, scheduled to happen. Um, and I, I think the other thing is we don't want to um, kind of rush these negotiations just to drive a certain number in a certain quarter. We want to make sure that we're maximizing the return on these uh, on these deals. But I would say what I said last time, which there's a lot to work with, and it's very active um, with that caveat around COVID delays. You know, there is a backlog in the in the courts. That's a fact. And the you know this Amazon uh, ruling will the the effect of the Amazon summary judgment is that that will delay that um, certainly out of the quarter for sure. Yeah, and Doug, you know, it's we we've mentioned it quite a few times before, but you know, Wyland Wyland remains variable, but that's exactly why we're focused on ITS and we're diligently working away, um, you know, on our M&A execution strategy so that we have stronger uh, visibility into our revenues on a more consistent basis quarter on quarter. And we made great progress so far this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can all see that uh, it's been a successful strategy so far, but, you know, do have to put something in our model for Wyland, as you know. Um, I appreciate the, the color. I'll pass the line. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Your next question will come from Stephen Lee for Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, um, hey, Paul, I wanted to clarify a couple of your prepared remarks. Um, sure. So first, first on M&A, in the press release, you say ETC can accelerate M&A. Can, 
Can you give a bit more color on that? Are there that, uh, many more active targets in tolling, for example? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, ETC had its own existing M&A pipeline before we acquired the company. So we essentially inherited a very active M&A pipeline. And there's lots of opportunities around um, extending their capabil product capabilities and service capabilities, be it through vertical integration of some of their supply chain, be it uh, through uh, offering BPO services for some of their capabilities, be it software acquisitions, et cetera. Um, so yes, absolutely. So, you know, the way to think of it is we had a very active IRD pipeline, tuck-in pipeline, and now we have a second full tuck-in pipeline under ETC, and we're working both uh, in parallel. Okay, that's great, that's helpful. And then, um, uh, again, on ETC, the, the free contract awards that, that are in the pro protest period, are very similar in scope to the Ohio Rivers one? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Like Ohio is in that sort of $100 million range, 10-year uh, contract. Um, if you take the three uh, opportunities that we're working on right now, you can kind of just on an average basis assume they're in the same kind of ballpark in terms of size and contract length. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Your next question comes from Gavin Fairweather from Cormark. Please go ahead. Oh, hi there. Good morning. Hey, morning, Gavin. Just um, to start out on ETC, just on the three kind of later stage opportunities, can you confirm, is, is that a mix of kind of roadside, back office, or both? Or It's both. Yeah. Okay, there, there's great. opportunities just, in both, yeah. And then just on kind of that four billion pipe that, that's being pursued, given kind of the sales cycle, you know, in, in this type of business, would you expect most of that to kind of move through to award kind of over the course of 22 or, or could some of it trickle longer? I guess I'm just trying to think about like when that business will be contracted. Uh, yeah, most of that is going to happen. Uh, there will decisions made on that pipeline over the next 18 to 24 months, uh, but a lot of it is actually happening in uh, 2022, which is great news. And, and of course, as I mentioned, we, we have three deals we're working on that we're getting very close to the end of the process right now. Um, so uh, they're kind of evenly spread, honestly, over that period of time, roughly. Okay, great. And then maybe just on ICS, um, just on the growth margin profile, you know, it could be a bit uh, a bit tricky. I mean, IRDs gross margins could kind of bump around between, you know, kind of the low to high 30s, and then I, I think with um, you know ETC, their margin profile can flux around depending on where they are on on um, you know projects and change orders and things like that. So, any kind of help that you can provide us on how we should be thinking about. Um, you know, the gross margin profile of that business might be helpful for us from a modeling perspective. Yeah, I'll make a couple of comments, and then I'll ask John to chime in on it as well. Um, what I would say is ETC is very much in growth mode right now where they're, uh, you know, as, as we just said, right, where they're pursuing a very large sales pipeline. And the nature of that business, the tolling business, these 10 to 13-year contracts is the uh, the margin expands over the life of the contract. So the overall margin profile for ETC is a function of the maturity of your customer base. So given that we are adding 
a lot of new customers TTC, there'll be a bit of margin compression in the short term, but over the long term, um, that margin profile will improve uh, quite significantly, especially as we get into change orders and extensions. But So there's a bit of a trade-off between growth and margin for ETC um, over the next uh, period of time as we pursue these new deals. That would be my... Uh, and I wouldn't make any changes to your assumptions around IRD. Those margins will continue to probably hover into that kind of 30 range that you, you described. John, do you want to comment more on that? Yeah, I, I think yeah. you did a, a great job sort of um, encapsulating that sort of at a high level. Um, so I, I, I echo that. When you, when you get initial contracts, um, you're in what's called the implementation phase. And it's during that implementation phase that you're looking at between, I would say, 12 to 15% gross, gross margins. But it matures overall. And I think our average with change orders over the term of the contract is in the 30 to 35% gross margin range. So um, it scales up. You go implementation, then it's service and maintenance, and then it's change orders, which, you know, the margins there are, you know, high 30s to 50% even in some cases. So, um, you know, as we grow, I think what you should be seeing is uh, top-line growth with a lower margin profile, but still uh, we have a tremendous amount of capacity uh, at the ETC business. We're scaling up and, uh, you know, a positive contribution margin. And then as the contract matures and, and progresses and change orders start to come in, um, then, you know, the margin of those new contracts starts to increase uh, on average. And then, of course, we have our existing customer base, which are already, uh, you know, at various uh, stages in their life cycle. And some are very mature and some are sort of in the middle and, and, and so forth. Um, on the IRD side, I think we mentioned on a couple of other calls um, they, they, we have acquired two product businesses. I mean, those were tuck-ins, they're smaller, but the product margins are higher. Um, the other, uh, you know, between 50 to 60%. And, you know, and so as, as, you know, if they, as they grow those businesses, that could contribute more to their gross margin um, if they become a higher proportion of our sales. And then the final thing, and I mentioned this during my uh, prepared remarks, is the um, we report in Canadian dollars. We have uh, uh, the majority of our sales in U.S. dollars. When that flips, also our cost of sales, there's some Canadian dollars in there. 30% um, on our cost of sales for IRD, 70% of the SG&A in Canadian dollars. And so, you know, as we see the U.S. Canadian dollar start to normalize uh, back to sort of historical levels, you'll also see an improvement from there, uh, I believe, over time. That, that was very helpful on, on different moving parts there. And then just, you know, lastly for me, maybe on Wyland, you know, we've been speaking about, you know, some of the court plumbing issues and the backlog for some time. Do you have, curious if you have any visibility on, on an improvement to that? And, and then maybe just secondly, like, is that in any way kind of impacting you know, license negotiations and, and those type of things if, if the courts are just clogged up. Yeah, I mean, that, that's been an issue really since COVID started for uh, not just the Wyland business, but even parts of the IRD business, as we just talked about with Latin America shutting down um, last quarter. 
uh, with the fourth wave, right? Um, what's changed, though, is the courts are open, generally speaking now, but what has happened is there's a, a, a much larger backlog of cases. So it's evolved from a situation where the courts were closed at the beginning of COVID, essentially, for a period of time, to now a situation where uh, the courts are working through a backlog that accumulated over the COVID period. And so, yeah, it does have an effect for sure. And the other effect is, as I mentioned in my remarks as well, is travel, right? And a lot of licensing deals, the most effective ways to get those deals done is in person. And um, some of that uh, it has been more difficult until recently, and that's starting to improve as well. But, you know, it's still kind of early days of travel improving as well. Great. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your last question comes from Todd Kuplin from CIBC. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I, I, had, I had a few questions, if I could. Yeah, hi there. Sure. Um, just wanted to pro forma the cap structure. So the only change is all the acquisitions, uh, including ETC, have been funded at, at the end of this quarter. But you added the the convert, and then you add that to the cash. Is is there any other adjustments to any other the debt items on the balance sheet post the end of the quarter? Uh, no, no. Uh, the, you, I think you've captured the the two big pieces. Okay. And then I was just curious. You, you said you reset your your uh, uh, loan agreement. Um, What's the uh, the average interest rate on on the on uh, on the long term debt in the term, please? Um, so we filed our the actual the credit facility on CETA as a material contract. Mm -hmm. I believe we redacted the grid, so it depends on our leverage ratio, but um, it's 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 based off of live it's a, a base rate plus LIBOR. And okay. um, it's in the low single digits. Okay. So three-ish percent for the, the debt that you've added would be reasonable in terms of modeling it. Yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty reasonable. Okay. And then it's six percent on the convert. Um, I Correct. think is okay. Yeah, six on the convert. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I, the other thing, Todd, is I, I did note that. Um, you know, 12 million out of the credit facilities was on a revolver. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's a committed revolver, you know, as, as, you know, as we've outlined in our credit facility document there. We can pay that back and redraw it again at any time with a day's notice. And so, you know, uh, we, we manage our working capital and we manage our cost of capital as well, too. Uh, so you know we have to, we have a lot of cash right now to to uh, to, to manage that and flex that up and down as we need. Okay, so sh just for modeling purposes, um, so mo model out the three-ish percent on the 63 million, and then you you pro with the excess cash you probably play pay the revolver down, um, and you know just see see how it goes with other M&A et cetera. That, that's that exactly that, that's exactly it, right? It's you know since we have the cash, we pay it, uh, not incur any interest, um, 
And then when the when we need the capital, as M and A comes up, and, and as we've mentioned, we have a lot of things in our pipeline, we could uh, access it immediately. Right. Okay. Okay, that's great. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the uh, the ETC ten year deals. So you're more or less saying they add ten million a year in revenue is is my takeaway. So you know ten to thirty million if you if you win them all. So would that effectively be incremental revenue to the ninety five to the one twenty that you called out when you announced the deal? Well, the Ohio River Bridges deal uh, was uh, closed before the acquisition, um, so that one was already factored in. Um, the ones I'm referring to would be incremental. Um, but, you know, we did, obviously, when we gave you that range, we had assumptions around a certain win rates as part of that, right? So it's not simple math. I would say there is a degree of additive nature to it, though. Yeah, it, so just to just to provide a bit more color, when we gave you that range, um, you know, we were, I, I think we also mentioned on our calls that uh, – ETC was at various stages of yeah. various RFPs that they had been working on. And so, you know, um, the other thing that we mentioned was the 95 was kind of their, their base business, what they, what they've already secured. So it okay. is incorporated. It, it, it is incorporated in that range in the short term. Yeah. Um, there, there's other deals that they're working on as well too. Okay. But I guess I guess the, the the bigger point I would make is the momentum's very good at ETC and their win rate is higher than we had originally modeled, which is great. Um, uh, but you know it's going to take time for those to become uh, sort of additive to the model in kind of any kind of material way yet. So I think the range, you know, is is looking good. Um, and uh, we'll see, you know, as more deals come in. But these deals, I, want, I just want to put a caveat. They're not signed deals, right? They're just, they're in the process. We've been selected, but not contracted. And so there's always that possibility that they don't all close, right? Yeah. But, I mean, on that point, the, the takeaway is $95 million is 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 pre these deals, if you will, and if, and and then they flex. To these deals, if if you're successful, you know somewhere in the range. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that is, uh, not, not quite that simple, but yes, I mean that's sort of the way to think of it. I would say yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's great. And then, just I mean, you know, you put the teaser out there. You have the shelf and um, yep. and you know deep M and A pipeline. It doesn't sound like there's too much integration that you need to worry about with ETC. So. Lots of opportunities. So the the message is, you're you're still uh, working hard on that pipeline, and you don't you don't feel gated by this last deal. Is that is that right? That's right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Very active. Uh, there's some very attractive assets out there, and as I said earlier, um, you know, ETC came with its own M&A pipeline, and there's some very attractive opportunities there. Yeah. That. But the the thing I would say is uh, it was large because it's because it's a separate platform with its own management team in a separate sub segment of road. The integration is largely, you know, sort of back office uh, financial reporting systems that type of thing. Um, but you know, I think Paul's alluded to a, a few things as well. You know, the CEOs of both our ITS businesses are already talking and bringing each other deals and, and talking about ways they can work together long term. It's it's pretty exciting. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, that sounds good. And then just for modeling purposes, you know, I mean, I more or less took the 100 million and spread it out over a year. Um, you know, with these deals having to close still, is, is that maybe the wrong way to think about the the rhythm of the business and it, it'll ramp up over time to that 100 million? Is there is there any granularity you can talk about on that? Yeah, the so like just, just to sort of not to sp- pick on a particular deal, but just for instance, if we were to close a $100 million deal over a 10-year period, you can assume the, 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 the revenue split is relatively even over that period of time. So you divide it by 10, essentially. There are sometimes a little, there's a little bit of front end loading to it sometimes. So in other words, year one might be more like 12, 13. Um, and the reason for that is there's a lot of upfront implementation work and then you kind of go into a, more of a maintenance contract running the operations of the system over the subsequent years. So it's one of the reasons the revenue at the beginning of the contract can be quite strong, but then the margin is, is a little bit lower at the beginning of the contract too because you're taking on sort of upfront costs to get the system implemented. That's kind of the dynamic of these deals. Yeah. No, but Paul, what I was wondering is even if, let's let's say whatever timing, these take a while to sign, is it is it appropriate right now to just take the 100 in, in 2022 and divide by four? Or is there a, is there a uh, more of a, uh, a gradual path up to that sort of 25 million a quarter type of revenue level. Well, it, it's it's just to make sure that we're um, clear here. When we say 100 million, that's a 10-year contract. Sorry, no, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about the original ETC guide. Sorry, I apologize. Oh, oh sorry, quarter over quarter. Yeah, I think Paul mentioned earlier, um, ETC is less affected, uh, let's say, by seasonality than IRD is. It's just simply because they yeah. have couple components, right? They do do outside road, roadside implement systems implementations, which is outside. Uh, but, you know, there's the back off the CRP, um, you know, uh, systems. So yeah. that is not outside. And so, this, you know, IRD uh, has a ton of projects uh, and they're all outside. So okay. IRD is a bit more um, impacted. Yeah, so there's just less seasonality. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch what you were saying there, Todd. Yeah, it, John's right. There's less seasonality on it. So, yeah, I think you're on to the right point there. Okay. Okay. Um, and then just sorry, one other question on the M&A. I mean, you know, ETC, I, I mean, I guess I would consider that transformational for Porter Hill. Um, do you, I agree. when you look at, when, when you look at the pipeline, I mean, you know, you filed a big shelf. So, I mean, do you, do you see even see a step function up from that in terms of incrementally transformational in terms of the types of things you could do? Just, just talk about like, you know, the types of things you're giving serious consideration to. Um, I mean, there there are a number of conversations happening in parallel and deals of all sizes. Uh, I would say uh, what's most probable are mid-size uh, to smaller size in the nearer term, just because um, you know we can probably get to those deals and get them done uh, in the in a shorter time frame. So think more in terms of tuck-ins, I think, in in the near term. Um, but but tuck-ins of more scale, though, if you remember, the first two deals we did are 
were quite small, right? They were basically vertically integrating. One, one was a fiber optics company, Sensorline, and the other one's a pretty exciting company, but a small company in, in the photo radar area, in both German. Um, those were small deals, though. Uh, you know, so I think I think we're looking at things a little bigger than that. Um, John, I don't know if you'd add any color to that. Yeah, I mean, like you know, Paul and I, our, our philosophy is first and foremost, we want a quality business. There's lots of synergy opportunities, and we can get a deal yeah. done. They're very actionable, right? But that said, another consideration is we we want to, you know, it's a lot of work. So we want to, um, if we can, uh, move the needle. Um, and so, you yep. know, Paul mentioned there's a uh, ETC came with a great, uh, great pipeline itself. It's in the space that we want to be in as well too, enhances our capabilities. And so, very, very exciting times. A lot of good, high quality assets there um, that are, yeah, like Paul mentioned, bigger than the very small ones that we did at the beginning of last year or this year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, great. Uh, thank, thanks Thanks for all the color. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Hill, you may proceed. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for participating on today's call, and we certainly look forward to speaking to you again in the coming months. Thanks. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you very much for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.